good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I want to begin uh, this morning by praising God for his mercy. As uh, Ben mentioned, Friday was a historic day in our nation when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Many people, amen, yeah, amen. Oh, it's good. Amen. Amen. Many people wondered if that day would ever come. Just thinking about it, I've been a, a Christian for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in November. Praying about this for almost two decades, but it's been around almost a half a century. So it's glorious, and it is good, and it is right to celebrate and praise God and rejoice in His mercy in this great work. It is a huge win for the cause of life in this country. Abortion restrictions, though, are now back in the hands of the states. And what that means for us is that the fight is not over. It's far from over, especially in places like Illinois where we live. We cannot rest until abortion is outlawed all across America, in every single state across the land. Amen? Amen. In some ways, I think the real fight has just begun. But as I think about that, I see that as a greater opportunity for our church. It's a greater opportunity for us to press into this ministry. We're going to keep preaching and teaching and equipping, and as God's people, we are going to keep speaking the truth to try to change the hearts and minds of our friends, of our neighbors. We are going to keep working to pass pro-life laws and elect pro-life leaders. You have an opportunity to do that on Tuesday. If you need to know who the pro-life candidates are, get the IFI uh, voter guide. It will help you in that regard. We will give even more of our time, talents, and treasures to this ministry, this cause. This isn't a a reason to, to sit back and rest. It's a reason to engage with greater resolve than we ever have before. Amen? So we will continue to press in and grow our ministry, our work with Caring Network to to minister to moms and dads and babies. About a month ago, I had lunch with my friend, Scott Paulander. He's the director of outreach for Caring Network. He knows our church is all in on this. We've already been working on establishing a a sidewalk counseling ministry at GFC. Landon has been working on that for the past couple of months. I think that on the other side of road, that ministry is going to become even more important than ever. If you are interested in getting engaged in that frontline work, I would encourage you to talk to Landon. We're going to do everything that we can as a church, everything that we can as a church, to share the hope and healing of the gospel and to save lives. We're going to continue to stand up and fight for life with grace, but without apology. Amen? Above all, we're going to continue to pray. 
It's one of the most important things we can do. So let's do that right now. Bow your heads with me. Lord God, we want to give you thanks and praise today for what you have done. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for working through the justices to courageously overturn Roe. God, we pray that you would please protect them and their families from violence. We pray that you would protect churches and pro-life agencies and pro-life workers as well. God, we thank you for the states that have already banned abortion, and we thank you for the the pro-life workers and volunteers and politicians that have made that possible. We pray for abortion to be totally outlawed in every single state. God, we ask that, that you would just continue to pour out your mercy and your favor and your power to this end. Would you uphold every person working in pro-life ministry? God, we pray for your truth to continue to change minds and hearts. We pray for babies' lives to be spared and adopted. We pray for your gospel to continue to go forth and bring healing and forgiveness and restoration. And God, we pray that you would use our church to these ends in even greater ways. And we pray also now for our time in your word. We pray, God, that you'd be at work by your spirit to grow and build us up in the faith. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, today we are looking at the third commandment. We're going through uh, the book of Deuteronomy. We're taking time to go through each commandment in a sermon. If you haven't heard those sermons, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons. They're online on Sermon Audio. Our text today is Deuteronomy 5.11. Turn there with me in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That is our text for this morning. Names are important to us, right? It's why we take so much time to name our children. I can still remember going to Barnes & Noble with Sarah and pouring through baby name books looking for just the right name. We want that name to have special meaning. We also want a name that's not going to get made fun of, right? I will never forget one night our friends, the Baxes, came over and they told us that they were pregnant with their very first child. And they said, if it's a boy, we're going to name him Harrison. And I'm like, you cannot name your son Harrison. They're like, why? I'm like, Harry Bacchus? Don't do that to the poor kid. So they steered clear of that name, and uh, I, I still consider that a, a great triumph, a great, uh, a great service that I rendered both to them and to their sons uh, forever. Um, so we're careful about names, right? We don't want our name to be ridiculed. We want our name upheld with dignity, and the same is true of God. Of course, the main difference is that His name is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. The message for us today then is this, honor the name of the Lord your God. Honor the name of the Lord your God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his honor and glory. That's the message. And we're going to try to answer three questions today about the third commandment. The first question is, what does the third commandment teach or what does it require? The third commandment reads, again, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This command protects the honor of God's name. 
It protects God's name from abuse. The word take can be translated to, to lift up or to, to bear, to carry. So we're forbidden from taking or lifting up or bearing the name of the Lord in vain. As God's people, we bear God's name. Moses is going to tell them in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 10, all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. God says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll hear their land, heal their land. We could add to this Daniel 9.19 or Isaiah 43.7 or a n- number of other texts. The point is, is that God's people are called by God's name. We bear his name. And that remains true even as Christians, Acts 15, 17. God's people not only bear God's name, we also lift up the name of the Lord. We lift up the name of God whenever we uh, take his name in worship, in prayer, in praise, in thanksgiving. So the point is, is we're forbidden in this command from lifting up or bearing God's name in vain. That is, in a way that is empty or worthless or to no good purpose. That's what the word vain means here. We're forbidden from lifting up or bearing the name of the Lord in a way that is worthless or wicked, in a way that is careless or corrupt, in a way that is frivolous or false. So, for example, to call on the name of the Lord is an expression used for worship, but we can worship, our worship can be in vain if it's empty or if it's corrupt through hypocrisy or through sin. If so, we lift up the name of the Lord in vain. When the same people who are out getting drunk every Saturday night are singing their hearts out on Sunday morning, they are taking the name of the Lord in vain. When we praise God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him, we are taking the name of the Lord in vain. We are breaking the third commandment. Hopefully, you're beginning to see that the third commandment is about more than bad language. Bad language is included, to be sure, but it's about far more than that. So, stated negatively, whoops, stated negatively, We are forbidden to dishonor God's name by taking it in vain. Stated positively, we're required to reverence or honor God's name in all of our thoughts, words, and deeds, in everything that we do. The third commandment teaches that we are only allowed to take up God's name in ways that honor it. If you want more, if you want to dive in even more on this, I would point you to the Westminster Larger Confession, or Catechism, excuse me. Now, I want to point out a a principle here for helping us understand the Ten Commandments. We might call this the two-sided coin rule. The principle is that every commandment is both positive and negative. Even if it's stated in the negative, the positive is true. So, where there's a sin that's forbidden, the corresponding duty is also required. Where a vice is condemned, the the virtue is commanded. For example, the sixth commandment forbids murder. It also requires preserving life. In each command, then, God intends to tell us both what not to do 
and what we should do, what we must do. So the third commandment forbids taking God's name in vain and so dishonoring it. And at the same time, the third commandment requires us to reverence and honor God's name as holy. Why is this command so serious? Why is this one of God's foundational ten commands for his people? Why is God's name such a big deal? I want you to notice here that God refers to himself in the third person. He doesn't say, you shall not take my name in vain. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. God is emphasizing his covenant name here, Yahweh, the Lord. And this goes back to Exodus 3, when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Moses says to him, when I go to your people and I say that, that the Lord... Um, of your, the, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? Moses asked God, what should I tell them? And you're familiar with the way God answered, I'm sure. God says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Say, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered through all generations. The name Yahweh, the Lord, in all caps in your Bible, it means I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. It points to God's self-existence, his self-sufficiency, his total sovereignty. God does not depend on anyone. Instead, God is the one on whom everything depends and for whom everything exists. Now, after the Exodus, we're going to find out that this name also points to God's saving power. So we read in Psalm 106, verse 8, He saved them for His name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. The point is, is that as we start to unpack the, the meaning of God's name, it becomes quickly apparent that God's name is more than a name. God's name is tied to his identity. That's why we find all these compound names for God in the Bible. Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord of peace. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord of our righteousness. The point here is that God's name teaches us about who God is and how he relates to his people. So to know and honor the name of the Lord is to know and honor God himself. To discredit or dishonor his name is to pour contempt on God himself, the one that we're to worship. Names are one of the main ways that we identify people. Uh, the person's identity, their character, gets tied to their name. So if I were to say to you, John has a bad name. I don't mean that John is a bad name to have. What I mean by that is John has bad character, a bad reputation, our name can't be separated from who we are. As people get to know us, our name comes to embody who we are. We can't separate the name. 
So think about someone who's close to you, someone that you know really well. It could be your spouse, a child, a parent, a good friend. Think about their name. Their name represents who they are. So if someone were to mention Sarah's name, my wife, I associate her name with all the experiences, the joy, the memories of who she is as a person. Her name immediately makes me think of her as a person. I can't separate my wife from her name. That's how it is with the name of the Lord. God's name embodies who he is. And our names are valuable, like we said. That's why we guard our name. We don't want our name to be misused, muddied, or made fun of. We don't like it when people ridicule our name. We take it personally, right? The same is true of God. God's name represents his character and his reputation. He doesn't want it misused, muddied, or mocked. To abuse God's name is to abuse God himself. To dishonor God is to dishonor God himself. That's why it's so serious. The third commandment is serious is because everything was made for God's glory, for his honor, for his praise. The whole of Scripture exalts the name of the Lord. So we just read from Psalm 138. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. Or as we're going to sing from Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 29, 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So God's name is inseparable from who he is. His name deserves the same reverence that God himself deserves. When we break the third commandment, we dishonor God's name, we rob him of his glory, the glory that's due to his name. And on top of that, we lead other people to do the same thing. And we're warned here that anyone who takes the name of the Lord in vain will be held accountable. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The point is, is that even if they escape human justice, they will not escape divine justice. The reason for the punishment is because misusing his name is a great sin. It is an attack on his honor and glory. So we've seen what the third commandment teaches. We've seen what what it requires, why it matters so much to God. And that brings us to the third question. Whoops. How do we keep the third commandment? And I'm going to answer this question in two parts because the commandment has two sides, a positive and a negative one, what not to do and what to do. So first, let's talk about what the third commandment forbids, what not to do. The third commandment forbids dishonoring God's name by taking it in vain. It forbids using God's name in a way that is empty or worthless or for a wrong purpose. We can't use his name flippantly or carelessly or insincerely or corruptly. And there's a a number of things that are forbidden by this command, but I want to try to put these things into three big buckets for us as we go through this. So number one, do not use God's name in a way that is false or hypocritical. When we attach God's name to lies, to half-truths, to our own agenda, we break the third command. Let me give some examples. First, all false oaths are forbidden. God says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, Leviticus 19.2. To persuade people they were telling the truth, they would say, as the Lord lives. 
In our day, people say, I swear to God. We say, I swear to God as a way of trying to convince people that we are speaking the truth. But if you say that and you're lying, you're breaking the third commandment. Perjury is another example. Perjury is lying under oath in a court. A witness swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. A witness takes the stand, lies. They've broken the third commandment. They swear an oath in God's name to tell the truth, and they lie, then they're taking the Lord's name in vain. A second way in this bucket, the third commandment also forbids false claims to speak on God's behalf. These are people who prophesy lies in my name, Jeremiah 23, 25. The prophet is using God's name to try to advance his own ideas or agenda. Using God's name to add authority to our ideas, our plans, our opinions is involved here. We need to be careful not to throw around phrases like, God told me to do this. Or God told me to tell you. Or God wants us to do X, Y, or Z. We've got to be careful not to slap God's name on our own agenda. That can be an abuse of God's name. Heresy would fit in here as well. Using God's name to promote sin, what is contrary to his word, is also a way to break the third commandment. Second, big category. Do not use God's name in a way that is careless, crass, irreverent, or flippant, in a way that is insincere. The casual use of God's name erodes our sensitivity to the great reverence that we owe God's name. Now, the most common way that uh, people break the third command, and the, the thing that they probably think of first when it comes to the third commandment is using the Lord's name in vain as a swear word, as a cuss word for blasphemy. When we use God's name, we're talking about our creator, savior, judge, and king. We should not use the sovereign name of God as an expression of surprise, excitement, anger, or disdain at something. To be so careless and crass is to profane his name. All the blasphemy on TV and in movies shows how godless we are as a nation. If you like watching movies like I do, you need to get ClearPlay. If you stream movies at all, get ClearPlay. It's a great filtering system. You do not need to hear all that garbage. You can filter it out. God's name should not be used as an exclamation point. People say, oh my God, for everything nowadays. It's one of the most common ways to take God's name in vain. Church people try to dress it up a bit by using substitutes like, oh my gosh, OMG, gosh, gosh darn it, geez. We all know what those words mean. They're just shorthand for God's name. This is still taking God's name. It's just a soft version of it. To say that's not 
swearing or not taking God's name in vain is like looking at women in bikinis and arguing it's not lust because it's soft porn. Those substitutes might seem more polite, but they're still a violation of the third commandment. Second, irreverent joking. I like to joke. I like to laugh. I think, I think we can laugh and we can make fun of ourselves and some of the silly things that we do as Christians. <laughs> but we need to avoid making jokes about God, Jesus, or his truth. Using the Lord's name or his word or his works in flippant jokes profanes his name. So, for example, the t-shirt that has a picture of Jesus on it and across it it says, this blood's for you, playing off of the popular beer slogan. There are some things you don't joke about because they are too serious. There's no place for irreverent humor about the Lord. Another example would be flippant prayer. Every single time we pray, we are lifting up, we are taking up the name of the Lord. That means vain, empty, careless, mindless prayer, praying without really meaning it, just going through the motions, violates the third commandment. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus is not looking for perfect words. He's looking for pure hearts. He's looking for hearts that are truly engaged in the prayers that you're making. We're to avoid empty phrases. So, for example, how often do you come to a meal and you just throw up a prayer as another box you have to check before you can eat? The problem isn't short prayers. It's thoughtless prayers, heartless prayers, prayers that are empty. Then there are those who use God's name as little more than a comma or a filler word when they pray. Every other word is Father God. You don't get extra points based on how many times you repeat God's name in your prayer. Flippant, thoughtless prayer is taking the Lord's name in vain. We could add to this casual or insincere worship. We do the same thing when we sing, but we're not really engaging our hearts and our minds in what we're singing. We're taking up the name of the Lord, but it's insincere. It's empty. It's worthless. It's taking God's name in vain. It dishonors Him. When we praise God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him, we break the third commandment. The point is, whenever you lift up the name of the Lord in prayer or praise, in blessing or thanksgiving, it must be sincere or you're taking God's name in vain. Third, do not use God's name for your own selfish gain. Many people today use God's name for their own ends, for their own selfish gain, whether it's in business or politics or commercialized religion. There are a lot of historical examples of this, trying to justify apartheid, segregation, slavery, polygamy, homosexuality, abortion, Nazism, or any number of sins in God's name with God's word breaks the third commandment. It's to take his name to no good purpose. When prosperity preachers or faith healers use God's name or God's word for material gain, they are breaking the third commandment. They're using God's name for a wicked purpose. 
And we're not immune from this, from using God's name to advance our own agenda, trying to use his authority as a blank check for our own decisions or desires, using God to endorse our political views or our campaign when there's really little or no faith in that politician. How many politicians mean it, really truly mean it, when they say, God bless you and God bless America? And how many are just using that to win votes? That might seem like innocent civil religion, but if they don't mean what they say, it's taking up the Lord's name in vain. We're using the Lord's name to, to advance our business, to boost sales. A practical application of this is selfish prayer. It's prayer again. Now, God encourages us. Don't misunderstand me. God encourages us to call on his name, to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. That is good and proper and right. We should call on the name of the Lord to help us. However, prayer can also be misused for selfish ends. So like James says, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So we break the third commandment when we use the Lord's name in flippant, careless, trivial, worthless, insincere, irreverent ways. But then there's the positive side of this command. What does the third command require? What should we do? Well, we're commanded then to do the opposite of these things. We're commanded to be zealous, to be careful, to honor God's name with all reverence, honoring it as holy in all that we think and say and do. The Bible calls Christians, in Revelation eleven eighteen, calls us as Christians those who reverence your name. Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. It's a prayer that God's name be honored as holy. That God's name be set apart for sacred purposes. That's what God want, wants for his name, to set it aside and preserve it for the sacred purpose of, of worship and praise and prayer and thanksgiving. God's name is used rightly when, with a heart of faith, in spirit and truth, we praise, bless, rejoice, worship, celebrate, trust, pray to, or give thanks to God. Now, the fullest and most positive statement of the third commandment comes in the New Testament in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do everything in the name of the Lord for His glory. Now, the story of the seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19 is a great illustration of both breaking and keeping the third commandment. Paul came to Ephesus for three months. He went first for two months into the synagogues, and he was uh, reasoning and trying to persuade the Jews about the kingdom of God. But when they uh, persisted in stubborn unbelief and started to revile the way, then he left the synagogue. He took all the disciples that he had made, and he went to the house of Tyrannus. He began preaching uh, the word. He preached there for two years. That's Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. Then Luke records for us that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Acts 19, 11. This is where we meet the sons of Sceva. We learn that there's a group of Jewish exorcists who, who had seen Paul performing miracles in the name of, the, of Jesus and they said, hey, if he can do it, we can do it too. Why not? They wanted to use Jesus' name, the name of the Lord, to do their own 
wonders, but it didn't work out so well. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. One dude on seven, they fled naked and wounded. Acts 19, 13 through 16. See, the seven sons of Sceva misused God's name as a tool, like a magic word, to try to perform an exorcism for their own gain. After all, this is their job. Their, their itinerant Jewish exorcists. Their whole job was to go around delivering people. So if Jesus' name could give them additional power, that'd be great for business and great for their reputation. But as the commandment warns, God didn't hold them guiltless. They get a severe whooping so that they fled the house naked and wounded. But the end of the story is the best part, and it's the most significant. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, Acts 19, 17. God refused to let anybody manipulate his name. God chooses when he will do a miracle, and God acts through his true servants. The Ephesians understood what this meant about Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord. So they extolled and praised the name of the Lord Jesus, and it says, also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. They saw the danger of the occult, and they abandoned all forms of sorcery entirely. Finally, the story ends with this exciting conclusion. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Acts 19, 18 through 20. When God's name is honored, God's kingdom grows. There's a clear connection between the honor of God's name and the advance of the gospel. When, when the name of Jesus Christ is exalted, people come to him for salvation and lives are transformed, leading to even greater glory for the Lord. You and I as Christians bear the very name of Christ. The Bible says you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 6.11. You're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ's name is associated with everything that you say and do. We must live in a way that is fitting for those who are called by His name, our our. Our aim should always be to honor the name of the Lord as holy, remembering the privilege and the responsibility that comes with bearing the name of Christ. In the end, Jesus Christ is going to be duly praised. We read in Philippians, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, that is, at the name that Jesus possesses, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name that he possesses. He's going to get all the, the honor and glory that his name deserves. Why not now? 
Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the application. We obey the third commandment by doing everything in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, for his honor and glory. Now, I want to conclude with this final thought. Hopefully, or maybe not, you've been convicted this morning that you break the third commandment way more often than you ever imagined. I was, as I studied this. We break the third commandment all the time. You're probably feeling the weight of conviction for that sin, right? And I want to end with this final thought. It reminds us of the third use of the law. What's the third use of the law? Well, the first use of the law is to teach redeemed people how to live for the glory of God, how to live in a way that pleases God. The second use of the law is to restrain sin in society. The third use of the law is to show sinners their need of a Savior. It's to show us that we need Jesus Christ. You see, the law shows us the righteousness that God requires. It also shows us how far short we fall of the glory of God. We cannot keep the law. Praise God that Jesus Christ came and kept the law perfectly on our behalf so that by faith in Him, we can stand in His righteousness alone. The law drives us to Christ to find shelter from God's wrath in Jesus Christ's righteousness on our behalf. We are justified by faith in Him. So run to Jesus Christ in faith for the forgiveness of your sins and to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus Christ to find the grace and strength that you need to live for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, we praise your name today. Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent, self-sufficient, sovereign God who depends on no one, but on whom everything depends and for whom everything exists. We thank you that you called us by your name and we pray that you'd help us to bear it well. We pray that your name would be honored as holy in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation. Pray that you would help us to avoid any use of your name that is vain or empty or careless or false or worthless or wicked. Help us to take your name earnestly when we worship and praise and pray and give thanks to you. God, we ask and pray that in everything that we do and say that it would honor your name. And all God's people said, amen.